Mr. Mark Selby, how are we, sir? I'm very good, Mr. Matthew Gordon. We're both, I think, are not in our traditional home places. What gave it away? <laughs> Was it the artisanal craftsmanship behind me? Yeah, Thanks. I am uh, at, I'm up at Beaver Creek um, for this gold show. Um, well, there's a bit, a bit more to it. Gold, copper, a few, few battery poison girls, but mainly gold. Um, yes, I'm very excited for the next few days, and I'm holed up in see the mountains and the equipment here um seeing one or two companies i'm very excited and we're hopefully going to see you on wednesday as well so uh, yes yeah i think on friday yeah is it right okay friday fantastic yep. fantastic okay um well look better, better crack on with it this is the nickel show sure. can we yes. talk about gold um so why don't you kind of kick off give us a sense of what's going on on there out there in the market especially with regards to price again another exciting week uh in the range of 20 to twenty-two thousand, where we've been since early june now, we did see yet another test of the $20,000 uh, mark. Again, just briefly, it was a day and back up again. Um, you know, the chart right now is there's a pretty prolonged downward trend there that is, you know, should break uh, in the next next few weeks here if it's going to break. But so far, it's bounced off. We saw a little bit of LME inventory come in for the first time in a while. So, again, with the different refineries coming online, maybe... You know, we'll start to see some in there. But uh, again, I've been calling <laughs> for a break below 20,000 for about six months. It hasn't happened yet. But, you know, I think if it's going to happen, um, you know, it will happen in the next two or three weeks here. And again, I still believe we'll, we'll have that break for, for, for a few months um, and then, you know, pop back up and, and strengthen uh, into year end. Um, right. And, and tell us what what else, what, are, what are the kind of key drivers? We we always talk about China, Philippines, Indonesia. What, what's happening there? Yeah. So so the the interesting thing we talked a bit about it on the last call is just some some real strength in stainless steel production. And it looks like uh, we've seen a bunch of stainless prices increase globally. So looks like we're in the early beginnings. I don't think absolutely confirmed, but we are seeing a bit of a restocking cycle. Stainless the stainless the whole stainless supply chain. Once stainless prices start going up, they start restocking. And that's why, again, why I always like stainless prices as a good indicator of the overall market. Some pretty crazy strength news. Um, you know, Chinese stainless production in August was up 40% year over year, uh, forecast to be up 20% year over year uh, in September. So, you know, <laughs> those are pretty robust numbers. And again, stainless is still the dominant dominant user of nickel today. You know, so that that, you know, portends well. You know, the other key thing is, is again, the bears, you know, would, you know, tell you that there's like nickel everywhere, nickel ore, nickel in intermediates piled up here, there and everywhere. But we ended up having, uh, you know, a shipping coal to Newcastle moment uh, this week in the nickel market when the Indonesian government, you know, basically cracked down on some illegal mining operations that were happening, um, which took out I, from one estimate, I saw about 10% of, of mined ore production. Well, that was enough to ca cause NPI plants in Sulawesi to go have to import ore from the Philippines to to, fill, to keep themselves full. So, you know, a little surprised if if there's that much stuff floating around that they had to resort to that. So, so again, you know, it, you know, there is definitely stockpiles around, but again, I don't think they're quite nearly as large as as people uh, people think. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> exciting times. That, that that is that is a strange one. Um, but the government, you think there'd be lots of ways to deal with the illegal uh, mining. But um, that's not for this conversation. It's for another conversation. I'm really interested to speak to you because you have spent a few days over in Korea yet again. What's happening over there? 
Yeah. So we had, um, there's a, a, a number of groups that we're talking to. We had meetings with seven of them. We didn't travel down south this time. So there's another couple of groups that we're talking to. Um, so we didn't, didn't catch up with them on, on this trip. Um, again, things, you know, on the Canada Nickel Fund progressing very well. Um, uh, on the broader market story, uh, I think I've talked about this a couple of times in the past, but just, just, just to reinforce you know, how much more nickel is going to be needed in, in different parts of the world. You know, North America today has basically been about 140, 150,000 tons since I was at INCO 20 years ago. You know, it's sort of very 20 to 30,000 tons up and down. In 10 years, we're, we're going to be needing somewhere of the order of probably 400 to 450,000 tons of nickel just in North America. And you're going to see another big spike as well in Europe, you know, just one of the groups that we were talking to, and again, in each part of the supply chain, uh, precursor cathode battery, there's multiple players, but just one, just one of the guys shared their forecast. They'll need more than current, uh, total North American consumption by 2030. So that's in seven years, you know, seven years from now, like, so, so what, what, one of the groups, yes, just, just one of the groups needs, Effectively, the the current total consumption for the U.S. in yes. within ten years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. I've got. Okay. Wow. Um. And and presumably all the other guys are going to need need what they need too. Okay. So that, yeah. that's, that's and we've got about three three or four groups in each one of those steps. So you know that's wow. That's the kind of yeah yeah. And, and so that's the so, so can market. I? I got to ask though. I got to ask though yeah. because you know we say this and we have been saying this for three you know three years. It, it, it's a common. It's common. We we need we need all um, all of the players to succeed. You know you, you've been a very yeah. big advocate of we need all of the above. It's what leads this Korean? I, I guess they're not just based in Korea. I guess it's a global player if they're talking about U.S. market just for their U.S. market consumption. What? Yeah. What leads them to believe that the numbers will come that quickly, that the demand will come that quickly, that they are seeking and building um, the ability to produce uh, into that demand? Well, so they've got, you know, the car, I mean, car companies plan on very long horizons, you know, in terms of, you know, we were producing this platform, this, this model is coming out and, and in this time frame, you know, we're, we're going to, we think we're going to sell this many, you know, of, of that particular car in that time frame. And so, you know, that means if they're producing that many cars, they need to have plants that produce this many batteries, plants that produce this much cathode and precursor and, and so forth. And so, you know, they're they're gearing up to spend, you know, lots of money. Again, they don't necessarily need all that nickel now, which is why they're not signing up today. But, you know, the, the key piece is, you know, they're choosing who their precursor, their cathode, their battery, you know, partners are going to be you know, for, for whatever car models they're going to be making, you know, and then that's going to drive, you know, the nickel that goes into the precursor plant that then feeds that um, supply chain. And so, um, you know, that's, you know, there's still some risk, but, you know, the other comment, you know, this group made is, you know, every year we've made a business plan and every year our forecast improves. It's, it's not one of those things where sometimes people overshoot, you know, the adoption rate and, and, and ends up falling far short, you know, from their perspective, you know, each year they've moved it up and they've had to move it up again, you know, by the time they get to the, to the next year. I mean, again, it was maybe three years ago where, you know, people had adoption numbers of maybe 15% globally by 2025 and 30% by 2030. And now, 
we're looking more like closer to 30% by 2025 and 50% by 2030, you know, um, and that's a massive, massive amount of, of additional nickel that's required. Right. And you, and you were just talking about the, 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 the competition between, you know, Korean players. Um, yeah. Clearly, there are others um, elsewhere around the world. How do they go about securing all of this? Are we going to see more of these companies moving upstream? Oh, 100%. No, no. They, they, they all want... They all want uh, to lock up the nickel that's available. We're talking to some of the Western automakers again, too. You know, I could sell Crawford three or four times over at this point in time, you know, based on the interest that we're getting from the from the different groups. And so, you know, uh, you know, again, just like a lot of things in business, once you see one deal happen, you know, uh, that'll spur the rest of them to say, okay, I got to stop talking and start signing. And so, you know, I think, you know, I think the next 12 months here is going to be Pretty, pretty, pretty interesting and pretty exciting for the players in the space. So, what does that do and to that price? If, if you don't mind me asking, what, what does that yeah. do um, to price? Because we've seen in other commodities the disconnect between what the market price is today versus the, the, the you know forward price estimates, and more importantly, the need of these large automotives, these uh, manufacturers, these large battery manufacturers, who have got to deliver it to that demand they they have built large infrastructures they have um forecast the, the demand do you think we'll see some sort of um sorry a better leverage for nickel companies or battery companies more broadly in these sorts of conversations knowing what's coming down the line irrespective of what the price is doing today oh 100 percent. you know the the I, you know i've not been in any rush you know It'd be nice to sign a deal sooner than later, but I haven't been in any rush to do it because I know as as time goes goes on, you know the, the that realization is setting in, um, and you know the um, you know the terms are just going to keep coming our way, you know as as we move forward here. So the the nickel mines outside of Indonesia are the scarce commodity, right? And so you know that's. The realization, you know, frankly, you know, three years ago when we first started talking to some of the car companies, you know, the, their attitude was, um, you know, we would like, we would like your nickel, uh, we would like it at a at a big discount, um, and you know, we're you know, we're not going to give you any money. Um, you'll get a press release out of it with our name in it, and you should be excited to get to deal with us. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, 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 not really. So uh, we'll, we'll, we won't talk to you anymore. Um, but those conversations now have, have really, really shifted over and, and, you know, the realization that, you know, that, that supply is not going to get built without them providing capital to make it happen. Uh, and so again, when you layer that into the kind of tax credit money that we're seeing from the, the different levels of government in Canada, it's, it's pretty exciting in terms of, of being able to get some of these projects built. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. We, we've talked in the past about metal super cycles and, and obviously lots of money to be made for as long as they last. And yeah. we're talking nickel today, but I, I had this, literally the same sorts of conversations last week with regards to uranium. Um, we've had the same sorts of conversations across the kind of the, the whole the whole battery remit, um, where it feels like either the ecosystem that was set up in this kind of just-in-time economy that we've been used to for the last sort of 15 years or so, um, where you can go to metal traders and buy your needs and you know, sign your contract and get get the best rate possible, and life is good. Now it seems to be with metal super cycles, people are kind of sensing, as I heard last week, sensing it's like, 
oh, the old way, doesn't, the old system doesn't work anymore. It, it, it was the new revolutionary way, just in time. Sorry. It, we need to build up inventories of these things to guarantee. We need to go upstream and actually secure our future. And I'm talking not five year, I'm talking 10, 20 year, 30 year inventories if we as a business are to survive. That realization is, is just seems the lights seem to have switched on. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, we, the, the reality is, you know, for probably close to 12, you know, there used to be a model in the 90s and 2000s in terms of how mining projects got developed is, you know, juniors would find something, they would develop it to a point, you know, the, the, the companies higher up the food chain would say, okay, that's great, new project, I'll buy them and I'll start building this project. And that, you know, project comes to market. You know, for the last 12 years, the majors really haven't built anything, you know, new. And so we haven't seen, you know, the kind of regular deal, do, you know, deal, deal setting that was done every cycle, um, you know, in, 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 in past cycles. And so, again, 15 years ago, structurally, you know, you'd have a bunch of um, smaller focused companies. So you had Inco and Falconbridge in the nickel market, you know, and Falconbridge also did copper. You know, you had a bunch of, you know, sort of focused copper companies. And so, you know, those companies had somewhat of a vested interest to make sure that the market got the supply that it needed so that, you know, that the market didn't completely blow up and, you know, end up, you know, creating substitution risk, um, you know, through that. Um, now the big diversified money companies are kind of like, they're not really beholden to any one commodity. You know, they're not in any rush to, to you know, to meet the need you know, that, that all these car companies have. And again, and again, I think it's really creating the risk that, you know, as I said, we saw ExxonMobil do a few lithium deals um, a little while ago. And, you know, if the big mining companies don't get their head out of a particular part of their anatomy, you know, there's a real risk that, you know, you're going to have energy companies or big private equity companies step in in a big way and, and you know, really, um, you know, take away that incremental growth, you know, that these guys are looking for. So, um, no, I, I think it's going to be an interesting seven years here. I, th I think it's kind of, it's one of those things like, you know, empires rise and fall and unless people move quickly and are nimble enough, uh, or, and can foresee the potential, uh, the future in store for them, if they don't make those moves, it's, it, we'll see some, we'll see some new, I guess a, a, a new dynamic in, in uh, you know emerging, and I'm kind of kind of a little bit excited about that one, but because uh, there's opportunities around that, but um, maybe it could also cause problems. Um, right. Well, look, we we've um, been to Korea. We better go to Indonesia, where there's talk of free trade agreements with the U.S. What's happening? Yes. Yeah. So Indonesia's best wish would be to get a free trade agreement with the U.S., which makes it IRA eligible. Um, you know, I, I think the reality is as much as Indonesia wants it, I, I don't see it come in. I, to, frankly, the U, U.S. car companies would like it, too, because Indonesia is the only place that's got incremental nickel supply in the next few years here. Um, I think you may see some sort of limited agreement of some sort of another, but some sort of broad free trade agreement is just not going to happen. <laughs> the whole IRA focus was about getting China out of supply chain. And so all of a sudden signing up so that you can get a bunch of Chinese controlled supply to come to, to the United States seems to defeat the entire spirit and purpose of what's there. So, so you know, I think this will continue to come up from time to time, but, you know, I don't think you're going to see see much of it for sure. So, yeah, markets just got a little bit too savvy. I mean, it's happened a lot in the past. You just pop it over to another intermediary country on its way to you, and there you go. Change the labels. It's all good. It's all good. Right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Made in France. 
Right, yeah. Indonesia. Um, right, okay. Uh, Nickel Institute. I'm just going to say the word kabam. What's kabam stand for? The I'm CBAM, the it. I'm Carbon Order Adjustment Mechanism. So this is the EU, um, basically, so people can't um, skirt around and instead of making stuff in, in Europe that has a high carbon footprint, import it from somewhere else. So um, starting earlier this year, Im importers in certain um, industry sectors, one of which included steel, including stainless steel, um, which meant that you know ferro-nickel and nickel pig iron got caught up um, in that. Um, they'll basically have to, to start reporting exactly on the carbon footprint um, starting in January 2024. And starting in February 2026, uh, January 2026, they're going to actually have to start to pay, um, basically buy credits if they want to have... Um, uh, you know, to offset the carbon footprint of some of the stuff that's coming in there. So it's going to be uh, sort of phased in over an eight-year period. But it's this carbon border adjustment mechanism that I think is really going to help set the price between, you know, low carbon and high carbon feed. You know, it's it's one thing conceptually to pay for it. Um, but, you know, when there's a real market tax in between the two options, that really makes it very clear what that what that premium could look like. Um, you know, speaking about going through other countries, part of the problem is, is, you know, this, the way that the thing's written is there's some, some stuff, you know, if that material ends up getting made into stainless and made into dishwasher and you bring that dishwasher into, um, into Europe right now, that's not dishwasher, isn't that carbon footprint of that dishwasher is not captured. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that, that plays out over time, how much leakage there is. Again, you know, Europe does not want to completely deindustrialize. Um, so they'll, you know, work, work to sort of, you know, shut some of that stuff down if it happens. But, you know, this is really concrete. Again, there's been lots of talk about stuff happening. You know, this is a very concrete thing that's going to have a big, big impact, you know, on about 15 to 20% of, of, of global nickel production. So again, having with Canada nickel, having low carbon supply, you know, very, very happy to see this coming and, uh, you know, we'll be you know, glad to see to, to to see it through. Well, we we have we have been talking about it for over a year, haven't we? But um, here, here we are. Um, um, carbon border adjustment mechanism in place. Do you think we're going to see more versions of this in other parts of of the world? Um, will there be some sort of standardization? I mean, how do you see this playing out? It would be nice to be some standardization, but I, I think given the diversity of public support for it in different countries. I think you'll end up seeing a bit of a rainbow of different different stripes. You know, I, I think, you know, countries that have share a similar view to the EU will likely put some some similar sort of mechanism in place, which will be great. So it will expand from Europe on that basis. But you, I, you know, I think you'll end up probably seeing six different mechanisms of one shape or form or another. We've got a different one in Canada right now. So in terms of you know what's there, so and do, and do you think there'll be some some co-mingling co between? other initiatives or is this with with, with, with the um, european version that's it that's an eu directive or can we see other as as we see time and time again when when moments like this appear people kind of rush in create all sorts of stamps awards you know um <laughs> ways to measure and reward i mean how how is this thing managed? Who regulates it? Um, I don't know which EU agency is, but there is an EU agency that does track all this 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 stuff through the adjustment mechanism and all the reporting that needs to get done. So, you know, there is a bureaucracy that will track and measure it. Um, okay. So, yeah, 
and and as you said, I mean, we've already seen kind of a rainbow of of no one really knows what green means anymore in terms of the actual product impact. No one really knows what zero carbon means. Um, so you know, I think you know we will we'll need to see some more regulatory clarity um, going forward. You know, to to actually make some of this stuff happen. And and this this is one one set of you know well defined rules. So hopefully, you know, they'll continue to sort of you know. Go from there. Okay. Okay. Well, let, let's see how that evolves and changes. Like I say, the kind of carbon credit market is very confusing for a time. There's lots of lots of ways you could measure it, and lots of standards uh, being applied, but very hard to sort of differentiate, and often quite often conflating um, different types of carbon credit. So. Uh, we'll come back to that, I'm sure. Should we talk a little bit about market and something we talked about recently, FPX? Yeah, so FPX put out their PFS um, in September. Um, you know, the good news is the, the uh, nature of the deposit has a low strip ratio. It's less than one. It's good to be up in the mountains where all the, the overburden gets scraped off. Um, because it's a single mineral, awari, which is magnetic, they have a relatively simple process plant, um, which is all uh, driven by magnetic separation. Um, and because they end up with a high-grade concentrate, again, ultramafic deposits, you know, in general, um, tend to produce higher-grade concentrates. And these, this, this, this one, which is all a warite, produces a 60% nickel concentrate, which is just nickel and iron, which is perfect to make stainless steel and alloys. They also gave the market a refinery option in terms of what it would take to, to get to, to batteries. So it was good. Overall, $2.2 billion initial CapEx. Uh, for 100,000 tons a day, and then they scale up to 160,000 tons a day, so even bigger than what we're looking at um, with Crawford. You know, $2 billion uh, NPV, 18.6% IRR at uh, 875 a pound nickel. Um, you know, the uh, the one of the big drivers of the IRR and NPV, are the, they included the government tax credits, you know, that we're going to get. So that would be several hundred million dollars, you know, additional value that, that got added in there. So you know, that is the kind of improvement, you know, we're getting to see from being able to factor those tax credits uh, into the mine life. And again, almost 30 years at 59,000 tons of nickel a year. So, you know, excellent, you know, cash costs, um, you know, just about $8,000 a ton, um, which is great. Um, so, you know, really, really good to see, um, you know, to see part of Team Ultramafic, um, you know, deliver, deliver a, a good result. So, you know, very, very happy to, uh, you know, to, to see those results. And for Canada Nickel perspective, we've got one of our deposits, Midlothian, that looks like it may be a warite only or mostly a warite. So, um, you know, seeing that kind of result for um, the FPX project, which is in a, you know, more remote part of uh, British Columbia, um, you know, the fact where we are with Midlothian, you know, whatever economics they have there, you know, would, would be helpful here. Again, we're only four holes into Midlothian, so uh, a long way to go. Um, but, but uh, you know, was pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, and, and, and we'll say it again because we need to keep saying it because people keep asking. We're talking about, you know, yes, low grade, but long life of mine, good IRRs, and the kind of thing that attracts the kind of people we were talking about, the Korean type. Uh, people we were talking about earlier, they want these big, long, large-scale projects. So well done, FPX, and we'll uh, hear from you, I, no doubt, once you've got a few more holes into Midlothian and see where you're at um, yeah. as well. Um, okay, um, and one, one, one little fella uh, to yeah, one company at the end. About, <laughs> yeah, I hadn't talked about before, a company called Dreadnought. Um, they have, they've got multiple projects across metals and a pretty chunky market cap. 
Um, but they've got an interesting early stage nickel project where First Quantum's actually earning into 51%. Um, and so they had four or five holes, had, you know, multi hundred meter strike length. Um, they have no assays yet, but they've, you know, basically intersected nickel sulfide mineralization, you know, across 14 to 27 meters. And then the depths are relatively shallow. And it's in a part of Australia that's been relatively unexplored for, for nickel. So, you know, again, we have very few true greenfields discoveries. So, you know, it's good to see when we'll, we'll wait to see what those assays look like. Um, but uh, just just wanted to keep your eye on um, over the next few months here. There we go. We're always happy to um, help us support other nickel um, companies out there. Well, look, Mike, I appreciate it. I know you're you're in Europe somewhere now. <laughs> I've been Zurich at recovered. a stainless conference. As, stainless as conference. We'll, okay, cool. Yeah, as okay. Crawford will be the only chrome, you know, cr- chromium producer in North America and chromium produced in stainless steel. You know, that's a... In addition to the battery industry, we're also, you know, in, in discussions with the stainless and ferroalloy sector too. So got two things going on. EV, stainless steel. There we go. Okay, sir. So well, um, see you later in the week and yep. uh, safe travels. Thank you, sir.